Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would ha- say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to MarthaBeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is episode five of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I know I'm trying to figure it out, have been for some time. Martha, on the other hand, I think figured it out on a bus in LA in the early 90s, right? Yeah, right. It's all coming back to me now. It was like when the bus got up to 50 miles an hour, it triggered a bomb. And then if we went below... (laughs) Wait, that wasn't me. That was Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock has it all figured out, people. Go to Sandra Bullock. Stop bothering me. Go listen to Sandra Bullock's podcast. Sandra Bullock, bus life coach. (laughs) Boy, what a step up for Sandra that would be, right? (laughs) Good times in LA. Um, Wasn't that song, What If God Was One of Us, wasn't that in a similar situation? Didn't That wasn't me as well. I thought I was was just sitting on the bus and and then, then I saw God was one of us. But then it turned out it was a dog. Oh, I thought I, it was Sandra Bullock. Because I'm dyslexic, so I, it was a dog, but I thought it was God. The age that I was when that bus movie came out, I could easily have believed that Keanu Reeves was God. He's not? Well, I mean, Have it's you not seen confirmed. Little Buddha? <laughs> I haven't, actually. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've just seen Speed a <laughs> lot of times. But he's very pretty. He's a very, very pretty human being. Yeah. He's... Also the Matrix. He's amazing. 
He's a Neil Anderson, new son of man. Did anyone not catch that reference? That's what the name Neil Anderson means. Yeah. Good, good trivia. I figured it out. Good trivia. Figured you it figured out. that out too. I mean, is there anything that you're still trying to figure out, oh. Marty? She says in an awkward segue. You know, actually, I'm I'm going to go too dead serious, and yet not here. <laughs> because <laughs> good to know. <laughs> I mean, I write a lot about like magical coincidences that have happened to me, and. A lot of them have to do with animals. I go into wilderness settings and sometimes, like one time I was meditating out behind our house here in Pennsylvania and I had my eyes closed and I'm like, I felt this surge of love and I opened my eyes and there was a stag standing in front of me with this huge rack of antlers. (laughs) Antlers. Huge rack. (laughs) (laughs) It was a stag's night. There was a staggering woman with a huge rack. (laughs) No, I mean... Stuff like this happens to me. And then I was like, owl? I want to see an owl. And an owl went right by me. With a huge rack. (laughs) It's hard to fly with a rack that big. Especially soundlessly. I think it's hard to fly with a rack that big. Think about hunting rabbits. Um, No, Now I am thinking about being a busty owl trying to hunt rabbits. (laughs) And it's taking me to some weird places. I like it. I like that very much. Hold that line of thought. No. Seriously, I was writing away in my most recent book, and I was going to write about how many weird coincidences have happened to me at Londolozi, our favorite game preserve in South Africa, where all kinds of magical things have happened to me, right? For example, one time there was an elephant there hmm. that kept breaking through the, into the camp. He was breaking fences. He was just destroying property and looting the gardens and the kitchens and just generally wreaking havoc. And we tried so hard to, to think of a way to get him to stay out of the camp that we finally, in desperation, some of the owners and I decided we were going to contact him psychically. As you do. Like, like that's you do. I the mean, obvious next step. So we're sitting in their house there on the game preserve and we're like, I don't know, let's try to pick up on him. And the first thing he said was, I want my own camp. Please give me one camp. <laughs> and he wasn't very polite either. We were like, he's kind of rude, isn't he? Well, you could have guessed that from his behavior, really. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't really, we weren't serious, but we weren't not serious mm. either because you never know. And then um, he said, well, then I want sweet spots. Sweet spots. And we were like, sweet spots in Do the camp where you can Do you mean a stag with an enormous rack? Maybe. And we said, what, what does that mean? And then he said oranges no i really love oranges so right at this moment dave vardy who runs the camp came into the room and said night shift oh they named him night shift because he always came in at night okay so he says night shift is in the garden like right outside the house in broad daylight and usually he was only there in the dark so we ran into the house we grabbed all the oranges we could find and we ran outside and night shift was just standing there and my friend boyd just threw oranges at him and most wild elephants, just to be clear, do not run up and start throwing objects at them. They will not react well. Night shift just snagged them like a, he was he was amazing. He could just snag them with his trunk like a baseball catcher and just pop them in his mouth. And anyway, so that was my interaction with night shift. Well, I was writing about this and I was I, I mean, I wasn't writing about it yet. I was planning to write about Londolozzi and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm getting really stale. I'm going to go to... Uh, read something because that will get me moving again and I'm going to read something by my favorite humor columnist Dave Barry 
even though I haven't read anything he wrote since the 90s, I'm just going to look it up online. Yeah. Sorry, I'm monologuing, but I got to tell you this story. I'm fascinated. I'm just on the edge of my seat. So I went online. This is 2019 when I was writing this and found out Dave Barry just published a new book. Huh, he's in his 70s, but he came out with a new book and it's about his dog. And I was like, this is super. So I went there and I downloaded the book onto Kindle and I read the first two chapters and I'm like, okay, now I'll go write. And then I'm like, no, I want to read one more chapter. Chapter three is about how Dave Barry went to Londolozzi and saw an elephant named Night Shift. He did not. Same freaking elephant. That's, I don't. And I just, I literally had to like put my computer down and just walk around the room very rapidly for like an hour. It's like, why? Why is this? Why does this stuff happening to me? Why is it always happening? It it like happens to me a lot. A lot of these things happen to me. Yes. Why? I don't know. But what, what? What is there to figure out in that, you know? Why? Why is it happening to but, me? But what does the answer matter? What does it matter? Why? It does because it brings up questions about the fundamental nature of reality. I mean... Oh, that. Like, okay. What the hell? I'm writing away. I suddenly stop in the middle of what you know is sacred writing time. I don't interrupt that. Go read this random book by an author I haven't read for decades. And it's about the thing I was getting set to write about that moment the very elephant. I mean, that's where the whole story just kind of takes that off. That particular elephant. One elephant in the world. <laughs> and, and that, honest to God, stuff, I, this is not like a once in a lifetime thing for me. This is like once in a week time. Things like this happen to me a lot. And I've been thinking about other people, like examples that I've heard from other people that are just as cool. And not many people talk about them. Are they just happening to me? I think that you have a worldview that is quite open um, and can allow these things in. And I think for some people, those kind of things can feel chaotic and scary because they do point to the fundamental fundamental nature of reality. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of Matrix-like. Yeah. Jokes about Neil Anderson aside it's there's something very matrix like about my life and i have not figured it out your matrix has a lot of glitches my matrix has a lot of very fun glitches i was in a restaurant once and um ordered something uh and it didn't come what what a wild coincidence (laughs) sorry (laughs) Um, so i i flagged the waiter and and he came over and i said oh sorry my drink didn't come and he said oh i'm so sorry ma'am there must have been a glitch in the matrix (laughs) and i loved him and we're married now (laughs) seriously what are you trying to figure out i you know it's funny i don't i don't have a funny one either i just have a serious one i have noticed in the last couple of weeks out of nowhere this very intense reluctance to go on social media and it's not that I don't want to hear about other people's lives it's it's just that I don't want to have to tell anyone anything I I feel quite protective of myself lately do you think that's I would think that that would be a thing for many people I almost never go on social media at all yeah you have a different kind of relationship with social media. yeah but like so many people are out there doing it exposing aspects of their lives so freely do you ever get to a place where you're like your psyche just says no more i must damn the flow well i yeah i guess maybe i have but it's i don't know it's just a funny thing i seem to go through 
cycles with it because I'm still taking photos of my dog and that's about as personal as I get on the old socials. But even so, there's got to be a place where it's just too much, where there's so much. Maybe it's an inflow, outflow thing. Maybe you just need to take in a certain amount of energy before you put energy out into the world in the form of social media. Maybe that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I just noticed that, you know, I get really scared. <laughs> I was talking to someone in our family about this the other day, but the fear of the um, the apps where people who send you a message can see whether or not you've read it. <laughs> the de- absolute terror of that thing. And uh, I, I avoid it. I avoid it. I don't read messages if people can tell that I've read it because I may not be able to reply. I think, you know what it is? What? When we're recording this, it's winter, and I think there's a deep kind of insularity that comes with winter for me. Mm. And I think it's more just like I'm turning inward. I'm not like da-da-da out in the world. Hmm. And does it happen every year? I don't know. I haven't thought about I it I didn't notice if it's seasonal. It's Yeah, I will notice. Did you feel it especially social media when it was hot? I don't know. I don't really track myself in this way. <laughs> Your theory is is fascinating. Theoretically, it's fascinating, but it lacks data. See, this is the difference between stu- someone who studied English and someone who studied social science. Right. The English, the English student is interesting while the social science person is unbearable. <laughs> Not at all. They oh, just never yeah. come to land. Oh, never come yeah. to land. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So listen, today we are going to be helping someone figure something out as we do. That's our thing. Because we live to to serve. We do. We we live to serve. Talk about Keanu Reeves and and serve a lot of serving. So um, today's person is um, someone we know who we're going to call Philomena Fusty Bump. Philomena Fusty Bump. So Philomena is feeling bewildered by stuff. She's got literal physical stuff in her house and there's too much but she keeps getting more she doesn't understand the compulsion to keep acquiring stuff and what she's got is overwhelming her so it's a sort of clutter thing and an acquisition thing as you know in this podcast we help people from bewilderment to bewilderment to their wild true nature so Philomena's bewildered by by all this stuff yeah and we're gonna get her from the the places where she's feeling bewildered. We're going to take her through. She's going to come to her senses. Boom. Podcast. There you go. So, yeah, the first thing, you know, you go back to first causes. What is the problem with us wanting stuff? I mean, I definitely go through phases where I feel overwhelmed by stuff. Do you as well, Ro? Yeah, definitely. And I'm just wondering, is there a, a cultural component to this or is it more of a psychological There is. Issue? I mean, I think you got, I always start with biology. Like, what if you're like raised by wolves not unlike myself or me (laughs) yeah Hmm. 
interesting. Hmm. Other podcast. But I, I, there's definitely an impulse to hunt and gather and to forage. And I've often thought this is one of the bases behind shopping and, and the, that people will go out shopping for fun. Mm. Like people who don't need anything. Karen's family, and I, I love them and they're awesome. And when they get together, they, they go shopping together as a form of recreation. And I know that a lot of people do that. It makes me super anxious because I was raised without any money. And when you're, you know, when you're little and you have no money, it's, it's really shopping is a bummer. Yeah. But I've often thought that the sort of pacing and the fact that they're just walking and looking is very similar to how hunter-gatherers forage in the forest. And I've also noticed that, I don't know if you had this, but I've noticed in all little kids that I've known, if they see a really great rock or a really great stick, Mm -hmm. they must have it. Oh, I can access that part of myself instantly. I don't think there's a person alive who, if you see a really good stick. Yeah, I know. I still do. You have to pick it up. Yeah. I mean, shells on the beach. Yeah. Good shells, beautiful shells, useful shells. Like there is just something like, oh, I am doing things with that. Rock <laughs> exactly. sticks, shells, yes. And and I think that that is that is part of a biological imperative to hunt and gather. That being said, if you look at the hunter gatherer tribes that still exist, because there are still a few, like the Khoisan in South Africa. They live in a state of complete trust that nature is going to provide them with what they need. So when the white farmers came, the Khoisan thought that they were mentally ill because they kept stuffing stuff into their houses. They needed houses, first of all, and then they had to fill them with more stuff than you could need in imagination. And And the Khoisan were like... You know, nature will provide. What is wrong with you? The Khoisan are the Bushmen, right? That they, yeah, that's they, another um, word for them. Yeah. yeah, that they made that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, was yeah. based on, mm-hmm. on and that tribe just to, to situate be, them for people. Yeah, they're, they're considered to be probably the oldest existing civilization going back as far as 100,000 years, where some scientists thought that humans only evolved mm. like 12,000 years ago. And now we think the Khoisan were doing what they do now. 100,000 years ago, which is just unimaginable. So their trust was not misplaced. <laughs> their trust was not misplaced at all. And, you know, the, the Europeans came with their European ideas. And here's the thing. If you go to what caused the great expansion of European civilization all over the planet, it was, this, it was married to the shift away from theology and onto material science. So everything had to be physically measurable. And that became the basis of the philosophy of the culture. And I think along with that came an obsession with material objects and wealth. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about something that I've, I've read in a number of places that also talked about, you know, the, um, the big shift in 10,000 years ago when we sort of started doing agriculture, that, that you, you came to this place where in the past you, you pick it up as you go by to this place where we end up with with surpluses. It's kind of interesting too because only after agriculture did women start popping out babies like boom, boom, boom in a hunter-gatherer society. <laughs> Is that what they did? Boom, they did. Boom, 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 boom. Take it from me. I grew up in Utah. Um, just boom, boom, boom. Babies a go-go. But in hunter-gatherer societies because the women nurse a lot and because something about the, the fact that they're always moving through the environment, usually the births are spaced out by about four years. 
makes sense. You've got to have one walking comfortably right, before you can right. carry another. Yeah. But when agriculture came in, women started having babies like in large numbers, like, you know, once a year for 13 years or whatever. And you could support that big a population because the agrarian revolution meant there was more food. But at the same time, it led to this kind of, they call the Malthusian program of the, the sorry, the Malthusian problem of the population always expanding to eat every available calorie and then beyond so that there would always be poverty, always be starvation. And even more obsession with like having a lot of material stuff. And I think we're driven by that. And it's ironic because now we have more stuff than we know what to do with. We have so much stuff. But but is it still so I'm still struggling with the ways in which that urge is cultural instead of a shared psychological thing. I think it's both, but I really do think, well, you know, Max Weber, I'm always talking about Max Weber. He said that the whole American ethos was based on Calvinism, which is this belief that if God loves you, he gives you all this stuff and Mm. you're marked for salvation and you have good luck and lots of stuff your whole life. And so in order to prove that they were worthy in the eyes of God, these Calvinists try to get more stuff than other people. And I I do think that we just, it's a natural um, tendency gone completely berserk Mm. in our culture. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes total sense. obsession with having more stuff than other people. Because most of the stuff we have is about comparing ourselves with other people, not with our actual physical need. Conspicuous consumption sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've just been thinking about myself and where I do this. And I know that... I have, you know, my room in the house that's my office and it's my little, you know, reading room and sanctuary. And and I have noticed in myself that every now and again, maybe every few months, it, the room is perfect, right? It's perfect. I have everything I need in there. And then I'll, I'll sort of be going along, loving my room. And then at some point there'll be this little thought that comes in and it goes, you know, if you just ordered a lamp for that corner then the room would be perfect and it would feel like just like me you know it would feel like me and it would be the that representation lamp completes of me. you that lamp completes me that and that is the consumer mindset right yeah. is that if i just have this then i'll be finished and i think maybe that's what's going on with philomena too i don't know could be oh another thing you bring up and that is that once we started this consumer economy Vendors, people selling stuff, had every reason to try to maximize our tendency to want stuff. So all of advertising is designed to play on that psychological sort of hankering for more stuff. Mm. And it goes so far as there's something, there was an architect named Gruen who designed shopping stores, shopping malls and things, to create something called the Gruen transfer, which is a, a brain state in which we become hypnotized by stuff to the point where it's all we can think about and all we can do. And even the way when you go into a mall, you'll notice that you immediately have to turn three times. And then you get into the mall central. There are all these little stores that you go past. The reason they do that is that the mind gets confused after those three turns and makes it hard to find your way back to your car. So it it activates the Gruen transfer. Yeah, so it puts you in this space that it, where there's, you're blasted with this massive amount of stuff. Oh my God, I'll never forget coming back from China in 1983, where 
in Beijing, I went into this electronic store in this huge warehouse-like store with hundreds of Chinese people in it, all staring at a single radio. <laughs> <laughs> and I never saw garbage in Beijing except for seed husks and eggshells because that's what people had for snack foods. Mm, then I went, today. I came back, I went back to Boston where I was living at the time and went into a grocery store and it was like my head exploded. Mm. I just I could not tolerate the amount of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've had a sim- similar experience coming coming home after being in the third world. Or like it's, you're affronted by it. What was it? like... It's it's sort of dazzling and and hypnotic, you know. It's we it's funny the Gruen transfer. We have Aussie listeners will know we have in Australia or we used to have. I don't know if it's still going. Um, a TV program called the Gruen transfer, which really? was yeah, it was like a panel show where they dice, they had top advertising execs come and and deconstruct ads, <gasps> um, and show you exactly how you were being manipulated Whoa. in these advertisements. It was brilliant, really funny too. Oh, can I stream that online? We'll find it. Okay, that's awesome. But we'll they, find it legally, obviously. Legally. Disclaimer. We need it to complete us. <laughs> that show will complete us. <laughs> so anyway, there are all these influences saying more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And then you get the occasional person going, hey, you should declutter your house. And that's where I have problems. Oh, yeah. I, I actually, I don't like going into shopping centers or whatever. I feel very overwhelmed by them. I don't, and I just want to run away. Of course, I can't find my car. So I just <laughs> physically run away. But one, here's the thing that happens to me, and it's so weird. Once you're known as a person who is seen as having stuff, mm-hmm. like people have heard your name or you've been on the Oprah show or whatever, they send you more stuff. <laughs> they send you infinite amounts of stuff. What would she like? I bet she likes stuff. Let's send us. I know. I get like gift baskets full of sandals. <laughs> like, <laughs> What? I don't need this. <laughs> oh, God, it's fun trying to think of the know, thought like, process that goes into that. Here, I macrameed you a whole set of beachwear. <laughs> like, Thank you. <laughs> and then people with their, like with their hands and their love and their kindness, they make me macrame beachwear. And then they send me packages of stuff. And I just, I open it and sit there. And sometimes I want to weep because... There's too much stuff in my life. But am I just supposed to throw this stuff away? And I can't take it to Goodwill because what if they find it? Mm. Oh, gosh, you're so, raising yeah. a lot of important issues I mean, there. I probably have a bit of a hoarding. Inst- you know, I'm more on the hoarder side than the acquirer side. But I have all these reasons, uh, emotional tentacles that make me have difficulty getting rid of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's I funny. I don't know if Philomene is that way. There's two different sort of things going on there to me which is the one is that if you didn't live in the age of Amazon Prime that your fear of, of malls might might control the the hoarding instinct right um, your fear of what malls mall oh, meant- <laughs> mall <laughs> Australia <laughs> I'm like yeah I am afraid of malls <laughs> but I'm not sure how it connects to my hoarding instinct <laughs> In Australia, we're we're afraid of moles that grow on your skin. But I happen to know that there was a time when you were very, very afraid of a mole that lived under the ground. That's true. 
Yes, I remember this. I think it's worth saying because in a sort of spiritual way. In, in some, on some very deep level, it's relevant. I used to meditate outside in the woods in California, and I would put bird seed on myself, and the chipmunks and birds would come and sit on me. And I also put up many bird feeders around me because the birds kept coming. There were more and more. And one day, I was sitting there, and all the little critters were there, the chipmunks and the squirrels, and even a few foxes and the birds and everything. And then suddenly, everything started to give alarm calls. Like, like when animals and birds give alarm calls, it means there's something wrong, something wrong. And I was like, what is it? Is it a hawk? Is it a snake? And then suddenly, from the ground, right in front of me, under a bird feeder, this creature, it was, ugh, it was, honest to God, like a pimple rose on the earth and then burst and out came this creature. Moles. Skin moles. It was a mole and I, well actually it was a pocket gopher, but my mind, which was in deep meditative silence immediately blared that mole is ruining the world! (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're watching your mind, that's what it said doesn't get Very much closer to God than that, folks. Creeps me out to this day. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I, was like, I was trying so hard to follow your argument. You were like, yeah, that really explains your fear of moles. <laughs> really? <laughs> what was your point, Rob? My point was that um, on the one hand, you have um, a hoarding instinct, but I think that that might be controlled naturally were it not for the ability to order things from home uh, yeah. that, that come to the house. That's really true. That is point the first. Point the second is, I can't remember because it was so long ago. All the people giving me macrame. Explain that. I, I, you know, I'm baffled by that one. I just, I, I mean, I, I feel like people don't intend to foist, but one can feel foisted upon. Yeah, foisting. That should be like, that should be a crime. You should not be allowed to foist. To, to a, foisting to a certain degree, fine. I will foist on you this cup of water. <laughs> Misdemeanor. But, felony yeah. foisting. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me, say, a uh, big red wagon, that's a felony voice. <laughs> oh that's too funny. You would love a big red wagon. You would go riding around on it. I that's know true. that you would. Bad example. Yeah. Okay, no, seriously, we, got, we have to get back to Philomena's problem. So there are lots of reasons that we acquire stuff, lots of reasons we can't let go of it, we might feel overwhelmed. Getting back to Philomena, um, as you know, in our coaching system, we use the, this idea by Thomas More, who was a monk, not the ancient one, a modern one. He was also a psychotherapist. And after he stopped being a monk, he realized that everything he put in his house was based on a decision in himself, and that that meant the house was kind of a three-dimensional representation of his inner life. That's how I feel about my office. Yeah, yeah, it is. You have a very nice inner life, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. And and so if something gets cluttered or you can't let go of something or you keep getting too much, it may reflect something else psychologically, emotionally, um, situationally, where you're stuck in a different area of your life. And always, <laughs> I was going to say almost always, but I'm going to say always, I have found that people's physical stuff mirrors their inner lives. Why do you think that is? I think everything we create is a self-portrait. When I used to teach art at Harvard, drink, I just said Harvard, um, we'd sometimes have a model come sit and and the artists would draw the model and then we'd put up the the drawings on the board um, and without names or anything. But you could always tell 
who drew which portrait because it would look like the model, but it would also look a little bit like the artist. Mm. We mm. literally can't create anything that doesn't reflect our state of being in some way. kind of has to, right? Fascinating. That's the, the lens through which everything's coming. So if culture has confused you, if your life has confused you, and you're overwhelmed by stuff, our go-to answer is stop coming to cultural consensus and come to your nature, your senses. It's so interesting because on the one hand, we have this very strong, you know, we've talked about how there's a, a very strong instinct to acquire and to have surplus for a rainy day or whatever, whatever's going on up there, there is a tendency to to stockpile stuff that we yeah. don't need. Um, and yet it seems so surprising to me that given that, what we, well, we, I, I don't know how general I'm being, but it seems like a lot of people at the same time as living in these cluttered places like Philomena flusty budget whatever her name was um that that we want to go outside we want we crave these open sparse landscapes yeah uh, in which there isn't clutter and there isn't that and and i think that's a kind of interesting thing when we talk about coming to our senses where we're we're doing this thing to our space yeah that that our soul is is in revolt against isn't it interesting it's like the screensavers on computers these vast quiet spaces space itself or a mountain or something it's never like a whole pile of teddy bears (laughs) (laughs) it isn't and yet we acquire massive piles of teddy bears or whatever yeah and 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 then we put the grand canyon on now and then we buy a computer so we can look at an open space i've always been weird (laughs) when i write and speak professionally i have to tone it down especially the part where i believe the universe loves us and is on our side A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pod. And going out into an open space, open spaces are harder to come by nowadays, but Mm, we still love to go out in them. And maybe that's where I would start someone. Like on the organization shows, they always take people in and, oh, I remember doing this, this presentation once where this house organizer was supposed to force this woman to clean her house and the directors and producers were telling him he had to make her burn her mother's books. What? She was crying and everything. And I was like, what is wrong with you people? It was atrocious. Oh. Anyway, that is not how I would go about it. Yeah. Um, what I would do, very first thing is say, find a space somewhere that puts you at peace where there is not stuff. Like, tune yourself to the energy of a place without too much stuff. And Even just go for a walk outside. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're, maybe you're in prison, you know, if you get some yard time, just look at the sky, like seriously, look at stars, look at clouds, look at things that aren't moving fast, that aren't pushing physically into your space and notice the sense of the place where, uh, that contains the stuff, which is actually, so the philosophers say, our real identity, that spaciousness without clutter and then you kind of can bring the space back into your clutter and hold and maybe hold that 
that different energy? I am, ooh, I'm getting the chills. And I'm flashing back to one time when I was in Africa for a month before they put internet into the camp there. And for a full month, I was in completely in nature every day. I had five, sets, five outfits, one for each day of the seminar I, I was running. And like my computer and my phone with some books on it, but I couldn't get on the internet. And I meditated for like three hours a day. And when I came home, I threw away everything. Wow. I was happier than I'd ever been in my life. And the joy of putting those five outfits, you know, washing one each day so it'd be ready for the next week. I have never felt so rich. And by the way, I don't keep the money I was earning there either. So I left all of it in Africa. I had very, very little, and it was the most blissful time of my life. So you came to your senses. I really did, and I'd, for, I'd actually forgotten about that. Oh, but when I came back, I brought some of it with me, so I really hope that people can find a spacious, an opportunity to experience spaciousness and focus on it, because we don't focus on the space. We focus on the stuff. Wow. Yeah. And it seems to me like just even just feeling your energy as you tell that story and remember that I can sort of feel it coming into my, to me as well. And it strikes me and you tell me where I'm wrong with this idea, but it seems like if I just bring this sense of spaciousness into my house, then I don't actively have to go burn my mother's books. I can just exist in the space. And it seems like things might just naturally start to you know it might naturally I might just find myself picking things up and and throwing them out and and that gradually right and if you have a if you have a little hitch another thing that can play a role is trauma Um, I do think that if you go through a period of abuse or neglect or want of Mm. any kind Mm. if you grow up poor or whatever then throwing things out can be quite, it can bump up against a trauma wound. Mm. Um, So in that case, if you find yourself, you go into a spacious environment, you love it, you come back into the house, you try to throw out. One time I I helped this woman in New York in a penthouse apartment. She was trying to throw away something. She had three copies of every weekly magazine that had been published from like 1960 to 2000. And I said, maybe we could throw away one magazine out of these Thousands. She was very wealthy, so she had this filing system taken care of by other people and stuff. We got to the trash dump, and she could not. She could not put that thing in the in the trash chute. And the reason was that stuff had come to symbolize uh, emotional sustenance, and and she was she had an emotionally impoverished life. She had all this money and could not access love. So we had to stop and work on that before she could be able to let go. So if you can't let go, get help. Get get therapy. It's a real, real issue. And there's nothing wrong with you, but you may have been broken a little bit by life. Yeah. And I I should say, you know, what what we're talking about today isn't about really serious hoarding. No. it's Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, you've got a bit too much clutter in your den so just to make that distinction really <laughs> but quick. try the one walk by each day as you walk through I've been doing this lately in in my bedroom walk through take one object and throw it away and it could be like a tiny scrap of paper or it could be a tv 
but each time you walk through, and if you want to up the ante, get a, uh, like an apron with pockets put three things in every time because <laughs> that'll make you seem a lot saner <laughs> <laughs> no it's really good if you have pockets you can like yeah. house things become easier that's true you need more pockets you need a vast number of pockets <laughs> i mean sooner or later everything will fit in those pockets and also just a obvious shout out to recycling and donating not just oh, yeah putting making more landfill yikes yeah it is we we are very very deviant culture when you think about like well there's a lot of people doing good stuff i don't want to say redistribution i feel like i'm getting a bit too communist here but i know but it really is weird that we um you know like we are a species that like other animals avoid falling from high places to their death (laughs) we put massive amounts of wealth technology and time into creating machines that will fly very, very high in the air. And then other things that allow us, more stuff that allows us to jump from those planes and then land. This is what we, like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> we, it's amazing what we do with stuff. And it's miraculous. And it's, we should, like, here we are recording our voices onto the, it's a miracle. We, it, the human factor to do, ability to do things with stuff is, truly miraculous and we got to curb it we got to find that state of calm and order and peace and emptiness i mean emptiness uh, openness and i have to say your office feels bigger than before you decorated it it feels more open could i quote from the Tao Te Ching my favorite chinese book yes um it says we hammer wood to make a house, but it is the space inside that we live in. We form clay to make a pot, but it's the inner space that holds what we want. We hammer axles, we join axles to make a wheel, but it's the hole in the center that allows the wheel to turn. We work with being, but non-being is what we use. Wow, beautiful note to end on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, you guys. Stay wild. Stay wild. Are you enjoying these shenanigans? We can notify you when a new Bewildered episode comes out. Just text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. You can also follow Martha on the socials for all kinds of ways to improve your life. On Instagram, she's Beck. On Facebook, the Martha Beck, or on Twitter, plain old Martha Beck. Her website is MarthaBeck.com. You can also follow me, Rowan Mangan, for all kinds of stuff on the writing life, wordsmithing, and honestly, general nonsense. My website is RowanMangan.com. Find me on Insta, Rowan underscore Mangan. On Facebook, I'm Rowan Mangan Writer. And on Twitter, I'm Rowan Mangan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need 
a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.